Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Monday. Welcome. This is the Life as a Coder podcast series. I am your host, Jennifer McNamara, and our program is brought to you from our friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. And our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you are a first-time listener, we thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, we encourage you to hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We are found on Podbean, Apple, and now iHeartRadio. Our disclaimer is that, as always, our podcast is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on our combined 34 years plus experience in the coding and billing industry, and we want to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. Our goal at the Life as a Coder podcast is, of course, to give you those coding tips from time to time, and we've chosen this uh, week to talk about exam preparation. And so today is Monday, May 24th, and our topic today is breaking down the CCS exam with AHIMA, A-H-I-M-A. Now, many of you out there might be familiar with that exam and what it is. Uh, Many of you have maybe only heard of the CPC exam through the AAPC, the Certified Professional Coder exam. As you will see in many job postings, a lot of employers will actually ask for either the CCS or the CPC exam. But we want to make sure that everybody understands the differences. Now the CCS exam with AHIMA, this organization is an accredited organization. And of course, uh, they do um, offer this exam for inpatient coding. You will learn the basics of inpatient coding and how to pass the exam in a CCS preparation course. So a CCS coder will be tested on various areas, uh, many of the which that a CPC is also tested on. So you're going to have to be tested, of course, on your coding knowledge and skills. And of course, if you look at the CCS certification exam on their website, it gives you those domains, right? So there's four domains. The first domain, coding knowledge and skills, makes up 51% of the exam. Now, many that take this exam are surprised to see that there is a lot of CPT coding which historically we we see is really done with professional fee coders, right? Those that deal in the professional side of coding, the physician's portion for doing the surgery, not the facility charges. But again, to capture uh, the facility charges also, uh, we also have to know the PCS coding, the the procedural coding system that is identified with ICD-10. ICD-10 coding guidelines also have a diagnosis system, which is the CM, ICD-10-CM. So normally a CPC will, of course, be coding out of the CPT coding book for professional fee services, and then, of course, the ICD-10-CM for diagnosis coding. Within the ICD-10 coding book, you have guidelines, right? And so in those guidelines, you have sections that are specific to inpatient coders, things that inpatient coders have to know. For instance, what is the first listed diagnosis for an inpatient coder? What was present on admission? All of these things are very important. And then we get breaking it down into, we're going to talk a little bit in a little bit about uh, the MSDRGs, where, which are come from, right, those diagnosis groups. 
whether it's a comp major complication or a regular complication. So coders have to know how to apply those. The present on admission guidelines are very specific. So you just have to know uh, what they mean. And they're in your book, right? But again, uh, it's also really great when you're studying to have resources out there, uh, additional resources on these topics, so you can take additional notes in your book. The guidelines are great, but you may get a question that might stump you and you don't have that exact information, of course, in your guidelines. So really, when we think about guidelines, what are they there for? They're kind of like a roadmap, right? They just give us um, the direction to go, but we have to rely on our knowledge, what we've done and practice, right? We practice cases in our coding courses beforehand. If you've been in the field for quite some time, maybe you have experience and you're just now taking the exam for the first time. So you know things and you're just taking what you know and you're applying it. And that's the thing. Whatever course you take, you're not going to get the same questions on your in your course that you're going to get on the exam. They will not be doing that. But they will, of course, test you on your application of those guidelines. So we don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed because taking tests, yes, it can bring anxiety. But when you understand the test and you understand what you're going to be asked, what you have to know, where to find the answers, that is very important. Now, I will say... We don't bring the Hicks Picks manual, right? But it is a requirement that coders understand how to interpret um, those modifiers to, um, to procedures. So I did get some questions that required me to understand uh, Hicks Picks level two codes. Now, because of my knowledge and my preparation, I was able to answer those questions without my book because of a lot of the clues were in the question. So that's what I say is for those that are new to coding, it's not advantageous to take this exam unless you've gone through a, you know, a full two-year course and you have taken a lot of um, you know, courses and you really understand. And that's why the CCS exam does require you as a new coder in the field to have that two-year degree, right, um, outside of another certification exam or outside of two years of coding experience because it takes the experience to be able to pass this exam, whether it's through a longer uh, curriculum or whether it's through experience. Now, I myself have been in the field on the professional side since 20, 2002. So by the time I took my exam, I had almost 20 years experience. There are many that take this exam and pass with less years of experience. So you really have to know yourself. You have to know um, what the requirements are for the exam and be willing to really dig in and study. Now, um, those are some of the things on the coding aspect, but I did find that I was really prepared because of the CPT coding that I knew. I was really, uh, really well-versed in CPT coding, having worked for surgeons for quite some time. So surgery coding is very important to understand. Um, you will be tested on various aspects of CPT. You might get questions on anesthesia. You might get questions on um, laboratory or pathology. Uh, I got tested on infusions. So you will have to know several areas of CPT. So don't think it's just for surgery coders. There are several areas you might get tested on. Uh, and, and so be prepared for that. Now, when it comes to the MCC and the CC, the major condition, um, or major complication and comorbidity, or the just the condition and comorbidity, the MCC or CC, Many get confused on the definition of these, and so I'm just going to break it down. So we want to understand that when it comes to payment, the hospitals are looking at what is called an MSDRG, the Medicare uh, Diagnosis Related Groups. 
And so within that, there's those three categories. You have your major complication and comorbidity, MCCs. And this will increase that hospital resource utilization because a patient who has a major complication will have a higher utilization of services, won't they? And they're going to have that highest level of severity. And of course, it's going to impact their payment or their MSDRG payment. And then for the complication, the CC, this will result also in increased payment and resources, right? At a lower rate than an MCC. And so on your exam, you don't have to know the base rate, all of those things, because if they ask you that question, they're going to give you that information. But what you're trying to identify is in the question, when they ask you about a condition, they want you to tell them which um, which condition maybe has the, the MCC or the CC. And that information is found in your ICD-10 CM coding book. And with that thought, one of the things that we wanted to highlight for the CCX exam that many were confused about is that some had purchased a ICD-10-CM book that wasn't an expert version. Now, the expert version will typically have your MCC and your CC symbols, right? And also your HCC symbols for your risk adjustment coders, right? Risk adjustment coders work in inpatient coding and outpatient coding, work for payers. I mean, they work in different areas. So those will always be there. But you want to make sure you have an expert. All coders in the field and are going inpatient coding need to have an expert version. There are some publishers that will even call it ICD-10-CM for hospitals. But even if it doesn't say that, make sure it's an expert version. That's all I can say. Uh, When I was um, listening and talking to people on those Facebook groups and different uh, social media, that was what we found out. And even in our coding course that I took, I took an amazing course with Prima Codemasters. Uh, Pietro Angrande is an amazing instructor. I always tell people... Uh, he is the best. Uh, I had the privilege of becoming his 1,000 student to pass the exam, which I'm so honored. And But so many of you out there have taken his exam and you have passed. So, so many of you are in the ranks of, of that success with this program. And so I learned a lot from him. And I did never coded for inpatient coding. I've been on the professional fee side. I never once did anything in inpatient coding. I passed the exam. So it's doable. If you are really determined and you want to study, you want that certification behind your name to show those um, employers that you are well-versed in uh, inpatient coding and as well as professional fee coding, having both the CPC and the CCS is a great asset uh, to your resume, to your future as a coder. Now, so I want to highlight that because it is really important to have the right books. So always get out there, look at the requirements for your exam, whatever exam you're taking, you need to know what you can have with you. Now remember, we are now in May of 2021. So AHIMA, they do on their website, on their certification, when you go to the CCS, they do tell you where you're at in the year, right? So as of right now, we have to test with 2021 code books. And um, so we want to make sure um, that we, um, I'm sorry, as of June 1st, uh, they go into effect according to their website. I apologize. Not May 1st. So um, that is, of course, um, what their website shows. All exams delivered on or after 6-1 will be required to have the 2020 code books. That's what their website says. Now, if you're testing in May, I would call them because their website does say that the code books will be used through um, for 2020 through 430. Their website does not say what to do for May. So that's why I say go to their website or call them because that's kind of like a little caveat there. 
um, what you're going to do for May. I believe with May, they let you do both, whichever one you prefer. Um, but as of all exams delivered after 6-1, I believe that those ones require you to have the 2021 codebooks. So check with AHIMA um, if you're not sure. Um, I'm not an expert in their, in, in their requirements as I'm new to AHIMA, but I'm just basically here to give you exam tips, things that help me on my exam, and to give you an overview of what you are going to be encountering, right? So they also have a list there of their 2021 allowable code books. That is very important. You do not want to enter that exam room or that facility to take your exam with the wrong books. Um, they are a lot stricter than AAPC. AAPC will kind of let it slide if you have, um, you know, different yearbooks. It's up to you. I mean, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by having older books, but some do that. So for the ICD-10-CM code book, they give you uh, examples of ones that are approved. So obviously AMA, um, Elsevier, Carol Buck, Optum 360, and then the AHIMA books. They have their own. But again, make sure you get the one for hospitals. Um, Carol Buck has one for hospitals. Um, Optum has one for hospitals. Um, the other ones, of course, are going to be called expert, right? And then ICD-10 PCS codebooks. Um, that's for the procedural coding system for inpatient coders. And that, of course, is... Um, AHIMA, AMA, Elsevier, Carol Buck, and Optum. Those are the, the, the ones that we, of course, are allowed to bring. And then, of course, AMA, CPT version. AMA owns the rights to CPT. They are the publisher, so they are the only ones that own that. Do not bring a professional expert reference for CPT. You will not be allowed to go in. Only the CPT professional edition. So CPT is um, is for professional coding. You will be tested on that because a lot of coders, um, even if they work in inpatient, they also are tested on professional fee coding because um, you also have, at times have to code for professional fee services if you work for a facility. You might be working for an outpatient department where they use CPT coding. Um, so even though you are um, also learning inpatient coding, you're also learning um, if you have to work in a facility where you're coding for uh, outpatient services. On the facility side, you are still going to be tested on CPT because CCS coders can work in both areas. So we just want to make you aware of that. But again, you're going to be tested heavily on inpatient guidelines. So definitely be aware of that. Now, I want to make sure that we're all well-versed, of course, uh, in um, the physician queries as well. This is one thing that was new to me because, of course, like I said, I had no experience at all in inpatient coding. So as a coder... We're reviewing documentation, right? But occasionally we run across physician documentation um, that we don't understand or doesn't seem correct, right? So we have to look at queries. When I was working in the, um, as a coder and I look at the hospital abstract to compare my codes, I always like to do that. I've been admonished to do that by my facility to look at the abstracting from the inpatient coders to see how they uh, coded things and compare that because we do technically want to try to be as accurate as possible and uh, make sure that our inpatient codes or outpatient codes are very same or similar to um, the professional fee codes. We can get denials actually. It has happened where the inpatient coders have coded something differently than the outpatient coders and there has been a conflict with the payer. So we definitely wanna make sure that we're trying to be on the same page there, right? But facilities uh, do look at these queries. They have a query process. So on your test, you're going to be tested on when to query. You're going to look at this communication tool to clarify information from the provider. 
there is uh, some information out there that is we have to look at as coders when we're testing uh, to understand the documentation. We have to understand, is there conflicting information? Is what we're reading describing or associated with a clinical indicator without a relationship to an underlying diagnosis? We have to know the clinical indicators. We have to know um, the underlying clinical um, indicators. We have to know all of those things. Is it unclear for present on admission indicator assignment? Because we have to look at that information and use that in order to interpret our POA, our present on admission indicator assignment. So we have to look at the content, the format. And so you're going to get questions on, is this a yes or no format or is it multiple choice? So I would definitely study up on the differences between the yes and no and the multiple choice questions, how to understand those. I was tested on that. What do you do for unsupported diagnoses? How do you query for that? How do you achieve a compliant query, which is really important? And of course, what is a non-compliant query? Um, for that domain um, of the CCS exam, um, you are going to have that as a task. So you're going to have to know how to report uh, these compliance concerns. What do we do if you identify a non-compliance area and you have to query that or if they're non-compliant with your query? Now, there are elements of a compliant query. There is a 12-point checklist on the requirements for a compliant query. And I have a great article, a great resource that I love to, I just found, and it's, it really just checks all the boxes of physician queries. So I'm going to go ahead and put that in my show notes as a reference. I think all coders should re- review this article. It's really, really great. And so it has some of those elements there listed what we need to know um, for a compliant query. You're also going to be tested on the AHIMA standards of ethical coding. Every coder needs to know these 11 standards. Be very careful. You will be tested on some of these. Now, this gets overwhelming, right, for coders because there's so many things we have to know, uh, but you're not gonna do it perfectly. You're not going to um, be perfect at it. You're gonna miss questions. You're not gonna get 100%. I don't know anybody that has got 100% on that exam. But it does mention um, these requirements that coding professionals should have. And when you're looking at a question and you read the multiple choice answers, it's usually going to stand out to you. Most of the time, these questions and answers are logical answers. They are based on our common sense. And the same with compliance. Most of the time with compliance, it's pretty common sense what is accurate. So you're definitely going to want to review these. Now, um, in this article, there is a uh, question and answer. There is actually... um, a quiz here. So I think it's a great way for you to test yourself. And of course, uh, we are going to be doing an introduction into inpatient coding. We're going to talk about uh, the uh, DRG in more detail in our webinar um, that's in, on, uh, in June, on June 30th. So don't miss that. And of course, we're also going to be having our workshop on inpatient coding coming this summer. So you definitely want to check that out. It will have five CEUs. It's going to be a great, great uh, benefit. And so we're going to talk about physician queries. We're going to talk about the DRGs. We're going to talk about the billing aspects for inpatient coding. And we are going to focus on some of the main guidelines for ICD-10-CM, how inpatient coders differ in their understanding of coding for ICD-10-CM. And we're going to break apart the top areas of PCS that we find on the exam. Now, for me, when I looked at the exam, my main areas that I thought were 
on there most often that I was glad I knew was cardiovascular. There is very complex procedures with PCS for cardiovascular. And there is also, of course, respiratory is very big, um, especially when you combine respiratory conditions with cardiovascular conditions. It can get um, very complex with your PCS coding and your ICD-10-CM coding, of course. And then, of course, the pregnancy guidelines were listed and a, a GI. So those four areas, we are going to learn how to break them down and understand our root operations. Now, I'm also going to post um, a great article from ICD-10 Monitor that I love. I reviewed when I was testing. It has the top um, tips for uh, ICD-10 PCS coding. And I want to make sure everybody understands uh, that ICD-10, CM, and PCS are very similar, right? You do have to have seven characters long. But the difference is, of course, in PCS, you have to have seven characters regardless. It's not like in CM where you can you can have uh, three to seven. You have to have seven. You build your code. Every digit means something in PCS. And that's why it's so important for you to understand what they mean. And so we, uh, of course, are going to dig deep in our workshop and we're going to make sure you understand in depth all of these definitions. And remember, all of the definitions are in your book. On my exam, I didn't feel lost because I felt like I was really prepared for PCS, even though I didn't know how to code every single procedure. I knew the structure, and that is the key. Know the structure and be as familiar with the guidelines as possible. Yes, ICD-10 PCS has its own guidelines on how to interpret when you're coding certain procedures together, right? And when we... Um, took our course with PC, for PCS with Pietro and Grande, one of the things I remembered, and I will never forget, and I always tell my students when I teach CPC, because it follows through over that. When you're coding and you're reading documentation, remember, it is not the physician's job to talk like our books. They're going to use terminology that is familiar to them as a physician. They went to medical school. They're going to use medical terms that we have to know how to interpret them into a code. So they're not always going to use terms like excision or resection. Uh, we have to know what that means in PCS terminology. So when you look at the definitions of these root operations, in CPT, an excision is an excision, right? They're taking tissue off of something. But an excision and a resection are different um, in, when PCS um, has to do with, with coding. So uh, an excision is more like a biopsy, right? And then a resection is removing all of a body part in PCS, part or all of a, all of a, all of, of a body part, not just part of it, right? So you have to know the difference between the two root operations. There's other root operations like introduction, destruction, all of these things that we have to understand. There's a change, right? If you're changing something. Um, when we look in CPT, we think of grafting, right? How do we understand um, the root operation for a graft? What does that fall into? So we need to know that. So we have to know our root operations. We have to know these additional digits as well that uh, give us meaning, right? So you have the body part. You'll have the approach. How did the physician approach the patient, right? Is it open, percutaneous, or percutaneous endoscopic? Or is it um, endoscopic through a natural opening? Remember, these are all very specific. We have our laparoscopic coding, right, or endoscopic coding for maybe a colonoscopy or maybe um, a arthroscopy. But when we look at this, they want to further classify things. They want to further dig deep and talk about, okay, how did it introduce into the patient? 
was introduced through a natural opening, like your mouth. Your mouth is a natural opening in the body. Other openings are surgically created. So you have different options. You have to know your meanings. And then for the device code, sometimes they use a device in that procedure. So that will be your um, uh, sixth character, the device. Now, it's not always there, right? You have your Z character for no device. It's not always there. But if they leave a device in or use a device in that patient and leave it there, um, then you're going to be using the device codes. And qualifiers. Sometimes there's qualifiers. Now, uh, you will have to maybe use your definitions a little bit when you're on the test. Sometimes there's qualifiers. You're not sure how to interpret them for that question. But for the most part, I found on my exam, I was able to narrow down my PCS questions very quickly uh, based on the question. And I, of course, didn't have a highlighter out like I did on my CPC or pencil, but I had to do it all in my, in my head. So that's the hard part, right, is you have to do it all in your head and it can be very complicated. So you have to think quickly. So you have to learn how to eliminate questions very quickly, which is why you should definitely get a prep book. Um, the Ahima prep book is great. Um, the Nelly um, Chisson uh, book you can get off Amazon, which is what we used in our uh, coding course. And I'll put a link to that on Amazon, of course, in the show notes as well. I want to give you some resources that are really great um, to help you. Um, things that I can I can offer you, um, places to go that will give you the best resources. So you have to know how to break those apart. Of course, your section is medical, surgical. Most of the sections you're going to code for are from there. You may get a question on pregnancy. You may get a question on maybe um, another section, uh, maybe radiology or something. But for the most part, I found my PCS codes came from the surgical section. And of course, your body system. You have to know where that body uh, system is. Like you have to know what they're doing, what body system does it belong to. And then of course your, your operation. Now in the PCS tabular, it's tables, right? It's not just a list of codes and, and uh, conventions like in CM, but it is actually a table. And so you're building your code, which I love, by the way. I think it's an amazing concept. I wish we could do that in CPT. I feel like PCS is so much more direct, so much more complete as a code. We don't have to use unlisted codes, right? Because we have a specific place to put things in uh, in PCS. And so it's a great thing. But your definitions, um, a, a basic description of that root operation is within each code set. Now, a lot of people were really concerned about tabs. You know, we're used to having tabs. Some of you out there, you're tab people, and I understand. I personally am not a tab girl. I don't like them. They get in my way. I am like, okay, I know my alphabet. I know how to do the alphabet and the numeric system. So for me, it's just really simple. I'm looking at my multiple choice questions. I know where most of them are starting from. They're very similar, right? There's usually just like one digit off, right? That makes it different. So I go to that. So I, I know that my surgical section's gonna start with that zero and then I have to know the system code, the, the digit and then the operation number. So it's all um, alphanumeric. So you just got to go in order. Find your alphas and then find your numerics and 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 do it in order based on what, what you know. But getting familiar with your book is very important. That's what I did. I mean, PCS was new to me when I was learning uh, just a year and a half ago. I knew I wanted to do this, but I studied hard. Um, the concept came easy for me because it made sense to me. The function of PCS and how it works it made sense to me uh, after being a CPT coder for so many years. I didn't have to question anything. I felt very com- comfortable and I felt like it was what I what I wanted to do. I, I love inpatient coding. 
maybe someday I'll be uh, coding for inpatient coding. But for right now, I just love talking about it. And I love teaching how to do it. Because it comes so naturally to me. It makes sense. And so that's what I why I want to uh, I want to tell people um, that it don't be overwhelmed and, and, and do what you can to familiarize yourself with your book. Know your root operations, and that is really the great um, uh, thing for you to, to know. Now, again, don't miss our, our workshop this summer uh, with five CEUs, but get to know um, some of these these descriptions. Now, a couple of the examples in this article, of course, are, are here. So um, we have options, like so in our index, for instance, you might get lost because um, maybe they're asking you a question about two different root operations that look similar to you. So an excisional debridement is coded using excision root operation, and then non-excisional debridement is coded using extraction. So you're going to see that um, when you look under debridement in your index, you're going to see two options for excisional, see excision, and non-excisional, see extraction. Because there is types of debridement. Remember in CPT, we have non-excisional debridement, and we have two codes for that. So they're going to take us two different places, right? Same thing in this example, of course, with um, debridement, because excisional is you're excising, right? You're taking part of a of a of that skin, part of a body part, right? And then non-excisional debridement, you're not excising anything. So why would you use excising? Why would you use excision? It's non-excisional, so you have to put it somewhere. And so you're extracting something, right? You're not using an excision tool. You're using a different method to extract, right? That that skin or that infected area. So that's an example I wanted to highlight that I found fascinating is how they split things up and how they put things in certain buckets. So I, I really like that. So I'll put all that on the show notes. I think it's going to be a great, great benefit for you to listen to this podcast today. Uh, learn what I learned. Um, it, take these tips and maybe it will help you learn more about um, how to pass a CCS exam. I didn't find it that scary. I mean, at first when I was studying, it seemed overwhelming, right? We all feel overwhelmed, but when we know our coding systems and we know our guidelines, we know where to find things, that's important. So as far as note-taking, definitely bring into your code books for notes what you can as far as the physician queries, some of the um, indicators for present on admission, some of the notes out there, things that will help you understand them better, but of course they're in your book. Um, Know the MCC and CC, Know, know what they are and their purpose because you're not going to have to memorize them, of course. They're going to be in your book. So in my multiple choice questions, I had one. There was only one obvious answer when I looked up the codes in my code book. Um, and this is another thing. Some of these questions are not going to have codes in them. You're going to have to use your brain and you're going to have to go and look at those codes. So let's say it's COPD. They're not going to give you the code. You're going to have to look up COPD which is why I say you're going to have to be as familiar as, you're po- as possible with other areas so that when you get to those questions that take a little longer, you'll have the time for it. So be as familiar as possible with, with as much as you can so you can streamline your effects here on the exam. So if you get a question that is very simple and you can just eliminate with the tabular, do that really quickly. So that gives you more time for these questions where you don't have a code, you have to look it up. So you have to go and, or maybe you know it by heart. Maybe you know COPD where it is in the in the tabular. So you can go there. Maybe you know where CHF is, and you can go there. And so what you're trying to do is narrow down those answers. Which one has the MCC? Which one has the CC? They will test you on that. They're not going to give you the codes because you have to look them up. So that is one of the things I will point out. Save some time for yourself for those questions. You will need that time. Uh, so that's some of the tips I want to offer for you today. I hope that was 
informational, beneficial, and gave you something to, to strive for, to reach for. So um, I will put links uh, to our website and other things that we're going to be offering so you have all of that with you. So, of course, it's always our goal to inspire and educate. And as I always say, knowledge is power. What knowledge you gain today makes you powerful tomorrow. Never give up on coding. Keep learning and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. Thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, and of course, our wonderful podcast producer, Gabriel Fass of Highland Productions, always making us sound so amazing. Thank you so much, Gabe, for all of your efforts here at the Life as a Coder podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Monday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.